Hey, how's it going? This is Daryl Surratt from the Anime World Order podcast. This is not a typical episode of AWO. This is yet another bonus, as promised, because, like I said, we had some spare audio of me uh, answering some questions for Mr. Regan Strongbaud of the Anime 82 podcast. Last time, we posted Gerald's answers to these exact same questions, and so to kill time, I am now posting my responses. These have already been posted in full. You can hear them in their entirety, split up. I'm along with answers from various other podcasters over at anime82.blogspot.com. Anyway, as I record this little intro bit, I am uh, now back from Anime Week in Atlanta 2012. The recording of the answers was done several weeks prior to that, so I'm sure as you listen to this, there'll be some things that are no longer accurate as of now. For example, questions pertaining to who is currently working for Marvel Comics are no longer quite correct. So uh, do not bother to comment with corrections on that. I am fully aware of that. I am also fully aware that this audio has not really been substantially edited or processed. You're going to hear a lot more peas popping. Normally I fix that in post, but you're going to hear, like if I hear that hard pea sound, it's just going to pop and it's going to be kind of annoying because I use the word, I use the phoneme. The phonic entity, P, P, that thing, what you just heard there, I hate that. Normally before I release this thing, I go through and edit those things out. Not this time, baby. Next time on AWO, I'm actually going to have a review up. It is probably going to be of the manga Drops of God, of which volumes 1 through 4 are currently available in English. I do know that there are some people who are wanting me to weigh in on my thoughts regarding Yamato 2199, since I've seen the first six episodes of that. And the only reason I haven't done so on AWO is because I kind of get the feeling I'm going to have to write about that, because I do write for Otaku USA Magazine, of which the new issue should be on stands very shortly, and that new issue, which has Penguin Drum on the cover, I have written a ton of stuff for that. I'll go over that once the uh, next episode comes out, though. So, uh, also in the next episode, I think uh, we will have to have the dramatic reading of what nearly was lost forever. A uh, reader sent in their slash fiction of Gerald and me. Uh, it's only an opening chapter. I'm waiting for the rest of it. They said they're going to give me the rest of it Friday. While you're listening to this now, you know who you are. I want to hear how this story ends, how this saga concludes. I already think it is absurd that it's Gerald slash Daryl and not. Daryl slash Gerald, and I'm sure from a physiological standpoint, that's exactly how it would play out, but from a spiritual standpoint, and that is what Yaoi slash fiction is all about, right, ladies? I'm pretty sure, you know, I'd be doing some stuff, but that is a topic for another episode to be recorded. Enough for me for now. Here are my incredibly non-researched, incredibly off-the-cuff, recorded at like 9 a.m. when typically on the weekends I wake up at like noon responses to these questions that I never heard before until listening and then recording the answers here. By all means, go ahead and post your comments about how bullshit these answers are over at www.animeworldorder.com. Got any emails for us? The email address is animeworldorder at gmail.com. Hopefully your message doesn't go straight to the spam folder, which I typically just empty without checking first. Is that it? Yep. I'd say that's it. Here we go. Okay, gentlemen. Salut. How are you? Hope you're doing well. Uh, First of all, I'd just like to thank all of you for once again being on my show. Now, you may question yourself. 
with this uh, rat scallion never putting out a podcast, uh, why would I even want to waste my effort? But uh, alas, this has been uh, the truth, but uh, it won't be in the future. I am making strides to improve my uh, productivity level in regards to the podcast. Just simply been busy with work. Um, music, art, and you know, <clears throat> gotta have a little bit of a love life as well. No, you don't. You don't need any of those things. Just work and podcasting. Uh, you know, it works for the AWO. That's the rate we put our episodes out with just work and podcasting. Get rid of the rest. Uh, but uh, back on the ball. And uh, gentlemen, thank you so, so much for being a part of uh, the 12 questions. And the reason why I always ask you, same individuals to be on my show is because you guys are the guys that I listen to and that I look up to. So uh, thank you. Thank you so very, very much to all of you. And uh, this will be Anime 82 12 Questions Series 3 Reverse Edition. Now you may wonder, Reverse Edition, what does this mean? Well, in the past, the, the first two series, 12 Questions Series, I've asked, well, obviously 12 questions. I thought I'd keep the name, but I thought I'd like to ask a few more questions. So I thought I'd call it 12 questions, reverse edition, hence uh, reverse the 12 into 21. And that's what we'll be doing today, gentlemen. 21 questions. So uh, just like the last time, uh, you can just simply um, send me an MP3 with your answers and just use this sort of as a base to answer them. And of course, your answers can be as long as you like and of any content whatsoever. So uh, with no further ado, shall we start, gentlemen? Perhaps uh, if you could just introduce yourselves and plug whatever you'd like, and uh, we'll do that right now. Okay. This is Daryl Surratt from the Anime World Order podcast. Gerald, also from the Anime World Order podcast, has previously recorded and sent in his questions. As you can tell, it's been months and months since he sent these in for me to answer them, and I haven't done so yet. Why? Because it's 21 questions, and they have to be as long as you want. That is why. I'm also a writer for Otaku USA Magazine, which has been eating up a lot of my time, especially as of late, since I've had to write an elevated amount for the magazine, part of which is due to the fact that several of our contributors, including myself, have been doing convention panels and appearances. But most of that is in the past now, with the only exception being Anime Week in Atlanta in 2012, which is the time of this recording is a couple weeks away, and I have to do some panels for that. But I'm going to... Get this recording out of the way first. That should about do it. And now we will begin the questions. Okay, the questions are broken into uh, different categories. Uh, we have uh, fan subbing, a manga, um, comics and animation, uh, collecting. So there you have it. And uh, we'll start off with the first six questions that are <clears throat> in regards to fan subs. So here we start. Question number none. Did I just say question number none? Oh my goodness, I'm not going to edit that. Question number one. What's your opinion of anime fan subbing? Do you think fan subs help or hurt the anime industry? My opinion of anime fan subbing is that it's effectively, once upon a time, the foundation of the entire scene, man. I think most people, when uh, anime first started off, they had no fan subs at all. They had to just watch things in raw Japanese, which requires a bit more attention span or a bit more patience because you only have a limited understanding of what you're seeing as fan subbing proliferated via through analog methods or digital or what have you more and more people started watching this stuff a lot of the fan subbers ended up turning pro that's basically the foundation of our industry people is fan subbers turned legit that was true in the analog days it's true in the digital days but the digital era fan subbing has been i think in a lot of ways more of an albatross than a boon 
for a long, long, long time, people were in the position where they figured, hey, I can download something for free that comes out much, much faster and in much higher visual quality than uh, the retail American product. So why should I pay money? Nowadays, people are sort of in the same situation, but at least there's some legal options for the uh, streams and such. And hey, who do they get for those streams? Former fan subbers. Of course, the downside is there's not really as much money in it. But in general, I'd have to say the purpose of fan subbing in 2012 is mostly obsolete. I think several things that should be fan subbed don't get fan subbed. I think a lot of the projects that people choose for fan subbing are based on popularity, things that are already coming out or will pretty much assuredly be coming out soon. A lot of the modern fan subs we see are people just taking rips of the streams that streaming sites offer and putting those up. There are only a few fan sub operations that actually release shows that either are coming out and nobody's touching, there's no simulcast for it, there's no license for it. There's a very small amount of fan subbers who are doing that, as well as fan subbers who are working on past series that never got fan subbed in the past, either due to complexity or limited level of interest. We only get a couple of those things. I typically am rarely downloading anime off of BitTorrent anymore, which is where you get fan subs from, because most shows either are streaming or nobody's touching them. And everything I just said applies like triply so for manga. There are a lot more manga being scanlated that have never been licensed here than there are anime. With perhaps a key difference being the distribution methods aren't quite the same. I mean, most people are not torrenting manga. They're going to websites that just host the scans and they read things that way. And these sites are huge. But I wonder if fan subbing will start becoming relevant again now that the major tentpole anime shows for which people are willing to pay their money for to see every week are gradually starting to end and phase away. I mean, in America, the big show is Naruto as far as what will people spend $8 a month to get. And that shows no sign of ending at least, but a lot of the other shows are wrapping up and it's only a matter of time, right? What's the next show that people are going to be that heavily invested in that they'll say, okay, I'll put my money down for this, and oh, well, while I've spent my $8, I may as well watch all these other shows that are out there too. Oh, this is cool. That's basically how the post-fansub economy works. So in the end, I'd say fansubs, overall, they help more than they hurt in theory. In practice, I think they're hurting more than they help currently. Question number two. Do you prefer to watch streaming anime? or fan-subbed anime you can download. Of course, this sort of uh, blends back into what I was saying in my first answer. I typically do prefer to have downloaded anime or at least some sort of permanent copy. That's really the objection I have between streaming versus uh, fan-sub or retail, is that streaming is temporary. Streaming can vanish at any time. Someone can take those episodes down at the drop of a hat, and then they're gone. At least with a fan-sub, you've got it. If the torrents die, if the group vanishes and disappears, doesn't matter. You've got the file. So you can still watch that show. The amount of things for which that is true, though, in practice, is very, very few. I mean, I can name a couple shows, but by and large, the scenario I've outlined doesn't really apply that much. 
I mean, certainly there could be some arguments over watching a thing on TV versus watching it on your monitor, but I think that's mostly a moot point now in this era of HDMI connections. I've got a computer hooked up to my TV. Whether something's on a streaming website or is a downloaded file or is a physical disc that I've purchased, it's all being watched on the same spot, which is my television. So it really doesn't make a significant difference as far as a viewing experience goes between streaming versus fan subs. So I will typically go with streaming because, hey, at least somebody's getting money legitimately, like to the creators, if I go that route. That said, I will often still try and keep a fan sub around for shows that I like so I can pull clips to show to other people or just hoard things since I'm a hoarder. Question number three. As an anime collector, do fansubs play a part in building your collection? Am I predicting these questions in advance, or am I predicting these questions in advance? The answer is yes. I do have a substantial collection of fansubbed anime still, even though it's mostly obsolete. I am gradually deleting them as things come out, but some things just are never going to come out. And so I do have fan subs of that stuff sometimes i hear that somebody's gone back usually like a small one man or two man operation has gone back and fan subbed in its entirety some really old show that never had been fan subbed before or never gotten a commercial release or most likely never will you know usually those old 70s 80s shows for which uh, this podcast specializes in and i will get those i will download those and keep them on track whether i'll ever actually watch them or not is another story. I mean, I've literally become the otaku no video portrait of an otaku guy, the guy who is just archiving things for the sake of having this archive that is effectively never going to be watched by anybody because, hey, you need at least one person to show things to. At least that's my weakness. I'm bad at watching things on my own, and uh, that's bad because I'm typically on my own all the time. Question number four. What was the first and last fan sub anime you've watched? The first fan sub I ever watched was almost assuredly a VHS fan sub I purchased on the then fledgling website called eBay for Mobile Suit Gundam Shah's Counterattack. I think that was the very first fan sub I ever saw. I could be wrong because concurrently around the same time I had gotten some fan sub tapes through the mail for Nausicaa the Valley of the Wind as well as Lapita Castle in the Sky, the Castle of Cagliostro. At the time, this dude Miyazaki was still underground, this Hayao Miyazaki Studio Ghibli dude. None of his stuff was available in the U.S., and everyone was trying to get the word out, hey, have you seen this guy? But I believe the answer that springs to my mind first is Mobile Suit Gundam Shah's counterattack by a bootlegging operation called a Project Hayate, project spelled with a K, giving an idea of the, uh, the quality of what these guys uh, were around the time. As far as the most recent fan sub that I watched is probably a fan sub of the live-action Phoenix Wright movie, the Takashi Miike film. I'm sure that's going to come out on some sort of retail release at some point, but I had to watch that because, hey, it's Phoenix Wright, (laughs) and it's a Takashi Miike movie, and everyone said it was great. And so it's like, okay, we got to check this thing out. As far as anime, the last fan-subbed anime that I watched, I actually got to stop and think about it. What was the last fan-subbed anime that I watched? And I think it might be... 
And even this is going back a bit, but it was probably just because I was discussing it or maybe doing research for an article, some fan subs of the anniversary specials for the various Rumiko Takahashi works of uh, the 80s. She, There are Urusei Yatsura, Ranma One Half reunion sort of specials that got made, and I did get fan subs of those because I don't believe anyone's ever going to release them. There was, I think there was also an Inuyasha one, but I never watched Inuyasha, so I, I didn't bother to get that fan sub. But yeah, those would be an example of something that would be a, in my opinion, a justifiable use of fan subs. I don't think anybody is going to be commercially releasing any more Ursae Yatsura or Ranma One Half anytime soon. Question number five. Without fan subbing, do you think you'd be as big an anime fan as you are. Definitely not, because when I became an anime fan, anime was very difficult to come by. Retail anime was a little tricky to get. I would say perhaps more so than fan subbing without anime being available for rent. I wouldn't be as big an anime fan as I was because I was able to rent anime for about $2 a tape back in an era when everything cost $30. And so I'd rent the tapes and copy them because I had two VCRs, and then I'd hold on to the copies. Those tapes still exist, and I probably never went back and rewatched them, because that's the kind of person that I am. But without fan subbing, I wouldn't have gotten to see for a very long time the works of Studio Ghibli. I wouldn't have gotten to see much of Mobile Suit Gundam. Without fan subbing, I wouldn't have gotten to see The Rose of Versailles or Captain Harlock for many, many decades. And uh, the fact that I saw those in what I'll call my formative earlier years when I was a teenager is probably what enabled me to appreciate them better than if I would have seen them at a later date after I had been watching a lot. So I think fan subbing helped uh, make me absolutely into the anime fan that I am. Without question, really. That's just the way it was for a lot of people of our time. And then, you know, the bootlegs and all that stuff came into it, too. I mean, that was how I first saw Ruroni Kenshin was from Hecto Fan Subs, who renamed themselves to Shinsengumi. And that was basically, like, borderline, like, are these people bootleggers? Are they fan subs? Hard to say. But I can kind of group them all into the same sort of unauthorized subtitling things. I mean, yeah, stuff like the S. Baldrick E. Monsoon stuff, which is how I first saw, say, Dragon Ball Z. That's absolutely bootleggers, but I rented that stuff, so screw them. Question number six. What's your favorite fan subbing group? And what do you hate the most about fan subs slash fan subbers? I typically don't think of groups that much when I think of favorite fan subbing group. I think now in the digital age, it's generally understood that all those different fan sub group labels are a smokescreen to sort of throw people off to make it seem like it's not just basically the same very small set of people that are working on all the fan subs at this point. Most of the time, the group tag is now a specific name that's relevant to the show that they are doing, such that the name doesn't really pop up again and again. This is, I guess, so people don't say, hey, these guys keep on doing fan subs. Let's go after those guys. I would say, as far as a consistently named fan sub group, you know, Central Anime did pretty much one of the most impressive Fan subtitling jobs ever took them decades and decades. Sue Shambao and Legend of the Galactic Heroes, they fan subbed through pretty much all of that. 
That is a Herculean task that was started back in the VHS days and finished in the digital era. So that is probably like the most commendable fan subgroup project that comes to immediate mind as far as doing good work, doing, you know, stuff that isn't intrusive, good font, all that sort of stuff. And that's really the stuff that annoys me about fan subbers is the insistence on this very bleeding edge technology that may or may not be beneficial to anybody in the end whether it's compression codecs that can't be played back on most devices, whether it's the insistence on using various After Effects and motion graphics for, say, karaoke effects on songs, whether it's using fonts that are difficult to read but are unique to that particular show or your particular group. All that stuff, and I guess it's also a subset of, you know, incorporating your group subtitle credits into the actual show credits without actually reading or translating the show's credits, thus implying that you're more important than the material. All these things sort of convey this attitude of where we, the group presenting it, the presentation is more important than the show itself. And that's what annoys me primarily about fan subbers is this idea of yellow subtitle with black border is bad. Oh, we can't have that. Even white subtitle with black border is bad. Being overly literal with the translation is also something that I think um, gets way too annoying. The amount of insistence on keeping certain words in Japanese or retaining Japanese suffixes and basically putting up all these various barriers to entry. I was watching a video of some non-anime fans who were playing uh, a video game, uh, No More Heroes, in which the main character is an anime fan. And in between their episodes of them putting up videos of them playing it, they'd watch what they thought were the worst anime of all time. And one of the things they chose was Aim for the Ace, which is one of the greatest shoujo series uh, ever made. Uh, Osamu Dezaki and uh, Akio Sugino and, of course, uh, that 70s shoujo aesthetic. It's about tennis. And they just couldn't stop making fun of the fact that the subtitles had stuff like senpai in it and various other notes for translation and all this sorts of stuff that just made it seem completely foreign and alien. Think about it. You're watching anime and you go and you get something. It's like you want to see what this thing's about. And there's all this stuff about so-and-so Nakama and so-and-so Dono and like, what the hell is this? And there's a real double standard among anime fans about what to retain and oh, what's untranslatable. And I think it's pretty much garbage. I think people just want to keep the same five or so suffixes that they happen to know in their subtitle script. And they just don't realize how much that turns people away and tokusatsu is another huge offender of this tv nihon in particular as far as keeping in japanese words and suffixes and all that such that a person who's brand new to it who doesn't have the exposure to it they go and they watch this and say i don't know what the hell this stuff is and then they put it down and they never walk back in that to me is my biggest problem with fan subbers is putting up various barriers that satisfy the people who are maybe like already in this insular community at the expense of getting people into things because that's actually the purpose of fan subbing is to expose more people to stuff that they wouldn't otherwise see all the current fan subber scene stuff i feel works actively against that okay gentlemen now we'll move on to the next category uh, manga or manga however you say it in part of the world question number seven 
If you could only read manga or watch anime, which would you choose and why? I feel like the correct answer is supposed to be manga because there's so much more of a diversity in storytelling and it also reads much faster than it is to watch anime. But I kind of feel like I would watch anime instead, given the choice. Um, it has more to do with the fact that even though I'm aware of manga's diversity, I can't read Japanese. And the amount of translated manga, as far as diversity goes, is less unless you start going into the scanlations. That's where you really start to see much more of your seinen, jose type stuff. With the exception, I mean, the only commercial companies that are really touching that stuff is is vertical and drawn in quarterly and occasionally digital manga publishing. But anime, even though it's much less diverse as far as what gets made, you know, it's either for kids or for heavy-duty otaku at this point, I am much more willing to watch that because for things like action, which is, tends to be a staple that anime uh, tends to adopt, depicting it in motion is much easier to do than depicting movement on still images and having the sound and having the voices means you don't have to imagine what these people sound like in your head and i don't have an imagination that's why i don't really read prose i want to see the picture and look at it and say "Uh uh-huh that's what the forest looks like don't need to read 20 pages sorry tolkien so i would probably pick anime because i'm a, a lazy unimaginative person question number eight What was the first manga you've read? The first manga that I ever read was probably, and this is sort of all bleeds together because some of these were simultaneous purchases, but I distinctly remember the first major manga purchase I made consisted of a simultaneous buy of all of Battle Angel Alita that had been released to date combined with Osamu Tezuka's Adolf. The hardcover Viz releases of that, Adolf has just been re-released by Vertical as Message to Adolf, Volume 1. It's going to be two volumes instead of four or five or however many I've got. And so those two were probably my first manga buys. And I think, you know, if you've ever read Battle Angel, or if you've ever read Osamu Tezuka, that sort of uh, got me in on the ground floor. Welcome to manga. So I guess even as a 15, 16 year old kid growing up in the nineties, having read Osamu Tezuka as like one of my very first manga introductions sort of painted me to be like that kind of fan. Many, many, many anime fans would not have read any Tezuka at all until maybe recently, maybe once they're older. Now it became more available. Tezuka quickly went out of print in the nineties and it was hard to come by, but I had gotten that as one of my first manga purchases. Maybe not my very first, but those two I remember particularly because everybody else was at Anime Expo that weekend. It was a 4th of July weekend, and the uh, comic shop guy, the same store I was uh, renting all my, my anime tapes from, he happened to be in our anime club, and I guess the store owners were like, we got to get rid of this anime crap, and so he cut us deals on the manga. I wouldn't have been able to buy all of Adolf and all of Battle Angel at their market price, at their list price on the back cover, they would have cost way too much money. I think even, um, you know, they marked it down so that it was like a hundred bucks for all of it. And a hundred bucks is a lot of money when you're 15 or 16 years old, but to get like five, 10 volumes of manga, you know, nowadays manga costs $10 a volume or even $6 a volume. You think, what's the big deal? This was back when manga cost $18, $19 a volume, $20 a volume. 
So that um, is my first memory. I might I might have something older. I'd I'd have to check, but that's what I think it is. Question number nine: Do you read Scanlations? If so, what was the last one you've read? I do read Scanlations. But I haven't read them in a very long time because most scanlations at this point are not distributed via BitTorrent, which is typically the laziest and easiest way I go about getting things. They're not distributed via Direct Connect, which is a really old peer-to-peer protocol for getting things that is a little more intuitive than BitTorrent if your files that you're getting are small. And so people do tend to use those for getting comic book scans still. But manga scanlations, typically, if you want them, you still have to do that 1990s era stuff. You've got to go onto IRC if you want to download manga scanlations. Or you've got to go onto websites. You know, in the past, there were things like Manga Reader or Manga Fox and all that stuff. And they keep getting shut down and they keep springing back up. But those are websites where you go and you can just view the scanlation in a browser. And like I alluded to in my previous things, I want to have the downloaded file. In the case of manga, I've actually got a real reason for that now is because I have a tablet that I bought just to read comics on. And while it's true that you can access those sites via Wi-Fi if you've got a tablet, a lot of times I don't have an internet connection when I've got that thing. I'm on a plane. I'm off-site away from home. I need the thing's on disk, on SD card, as the case may be. And so I have not read manga scanlations in a long, long time, but the last one I read was a fairly recent one. It was called uh, Damned by Tetsuya Saruwatari, the guy who made Rikio and uh, Tough and all that good stuff. This is a much shorter manga, and the guy who scanlated it is sort of uh, aware that I'm into this stuff, and so he put that up for a uh, download for me to actually get and read all of it, so I did download that and read it, and it is tremendous. I really wish that more Saruwatari manga would come out legitimately in the United States, but when Viz tried to release Tough, they did so in an edited format, they skipped a lot of volumes, and it didn't sell, go figure. And then, uh, Everyone decided that Tetsuya Sarawatari was pretty much um, commercial poison in the United States. And so it's up to the, the manga scanlators to give me all of Rikio, which they did. It's pretty much the same guy who did Damned. He did Rikio. They want to do more stuff. And I hope they do all of it because that guy is so great. So that, that was the last scanlation I ever read. I, I wish I was reading more scanlations because there's a lot of awesome, awesome stuff that people are scanlating that hasn't been released yet. And yeah, I know the manga reps say the second someone starts scanlating something, it's no longer worth releasing commercially because it's without value. But hey, without the scanlations, I don't know a show exists. I, I mean, I don't know a manga exists if nobody ever scanlated it or if nobody ever released it commercially. I mean, I'm just not looking at raws of manga to say like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Somebody should license this thing. If it's not in English, it's off my radar. Question number 10. What's your favorite genre of manga? And who is your favorite manga artist? Difficult question. My favorite genre of manga overall, I mean, uh, how do you want to parse genre? Obviously, the way the genres work in Japan is more uh, audience age demographic than it is um, content. So I would say doesn't really mean anything, though, if I say my favorite genre is seinen, since it's the broadest genre. It can encompass anything, pretty much. I like stories with action. I like stories about 
political intrigue. I tend to like stories typically with violence in them. Usually, if the central conceit doesn't involve conflicts being set up and resolved through violence, I'm probably not reading it. So I'm typically not reading things with romance. I'm typically not reading things where people are just sitting around not doing anything. I like stuff like Google 13. I like stuff like Lupin the Third. Hell, I really, really like pretty much anything written by Kazuo Koike, like Mad Bull and, you know, Lone Wolf and Cub and Samurai Executioner and Path of the Assassin, all that good stuff. So if I had to pick a genre, it would probably be Seinen action overall. As far as favorite artist, is artist being used like as a catch-all for a creator or specifically artwork? Because as far as artwork goes, I mean, I'm really big into the guys like Yukito Kishiro, who did Battle Angel, even though I'm not really that keen on his writing anymore. I think he's really dropped the ball. I really like uh, Hiroaki Samura, Blade of the Immortal. He's another guy taken forever, but um, supposedly that is wrapping up. Kentaro Miura, I mean, I love the idea of Berserk, but the writing of Berserk is just, oh, so not interesting me anymore. Get to the point, man. Ditch all this high fantasy stuff. Uh, that barn door's been open. There's no turning back on that. Takehiko Inoue of Vagabond fame. I mean, yeah, he's doing some awesome artwork and Vagabond's cool, but I don't really like anything else he does. Like, I hate Slam Dunk. So why do I, I think Vagabond's pretty cool? It's, it's samurai, it's swords and shit. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if I gotta narrow it down to just one specific artist, I, it's gotta be Tetsuo Hara. I mean, uh, the guy who drew Fist of the North Star and basically inspired a whole generation of derivative styles of artwork. A lot, everyone wanted to be Tetsuo Hara style art for so long and have like the violence where you hit somebody in the eyeball, one eyeball pops out, even if you hit him in the, the head or in the stomach or whatever, uh, one eyeball popping out. Pioneer in that Tetsuo Hara, but also, you know, seriously, if you look at that guy's art, the level of intricacy that he puts into clothing, even in Fist of the North Star back in the 80s, there was all sorts of like details put into the outfits on those characters. And then as time went on, the amount of folds and intricacy just in everything. I mean, that stuff was super duper complicated. And yeah, it's unfortunate that he's basically blind at this point and needs like a billion assistance. But you look at anything he does and dude, that guy did so much stuff. And uh, I'll read anything if Tetsuo Hara drew that thing. Because even though there's different writers, you know, he's not really an artist necessarily. They seem to all follow like a similar tone. Like Tetsuo Sarawatari, the Rikio guy, same thing. He, technically, he's an artist. But, I mean, the writers he keeps getting all seem to be cut along that same cloth. Perhaps it's no coincidence that both of those guys are Kazuo Koike sort of understudies. Because he's sort of the master of it all. He's not an artist, though. He's a writer. Or even a writer, what have you. Oh, okay. Well, I fucked up and it paused too soon. Question number 11. What's your favorite manga slash manga series of all times well for pure longevity of having read it it would be battle angel but i can't really endorse battle angel as my favorite because ever since last order even though the artwork is great i just don't like where the story's going so it's hard for me to recommend battle angel anymore um i used to be crazy into stuff like man oh, i don't want to just keep repeating the same stuff i've been saying but a lot of those things that I've been reading for a long time are things that I like. I mean, I've read a lot of One Piece, but I don't really have a big emotional investment in One Piece, even though it's great. 
It's awesome. Like every time I read it, I'm like, this comic is so good. Why haven't I been still reading One Piece? And it's like, oh, it's because it's so long. <laughs> That's why. If I had to give one and only one answer, it's got to be Phoenix. It's got to be Phoenix by Osamu Tezuka. I think in those 12 volumes that we got, I mean, yeah, he technically died before he could finalize it, but each volume is effectively its own standalone story. I think that is just like everything that manga aspires to be, like, you know, can be, and it is really, really exceptional as far as layout it's being experimental as far as covering ground that you don't really see tackled in other media that maybe something that can only be done in comics i don't know i mean maybe that's a contentious statement because there's some really stellar anime adaptations of phoenix as well but i mean that is a heavy heavy book and doesn't really seem consistent with all the stuff i've been saying before about you know sarawatari and you know people getting killed and stuff like that phoenix it's like it's the opposite end of the scale it's really about the mysteries of life and what is it to be alive you know that like heavy philosophical kind of stuff that is mixed together with being just a crazy weird story, you know, with all that Tezuka weird jokes and, you know, strange brutality against, you know, anyone and everybody, even though they're all like really cartoony, child-friendly looking designs. It'd have to be Phoenix. I mean, that's like sort of like this high watermark. And the fact that Viz can't keep it in print is infuriating to me. I mean, it's been like half a decade now of Tezuka being like this big name where you just slap his name on something and it will sell. Yet Viz cannot keep Phoenix continually in print. I mean, even Buddha can still be bought. Even, um, you know, DMP can still get a Kickstarter to keep swallowing the earth and stuff in print. And that's not even that good of a Tezuka comic, but it has his name on it. But Viz can't keep what he considers his his best, his ultimate grand life work masterpiece. They can't have that readily available at all times in print and digital. Something is wrong. And I think it's just with that company uh, more than anything else. Question number 12. What is the worst or most disappointing manga you've read? Difficult question to answer because when I think of worst nowadays, I don't think of like things like what most people consider worst like i love apocalypse zero i want to read the final volumes of that manga we only got six volumes of it released by media blasters and there are more and the scanlators have failed me no one has ever picked up the ball for the rest of apocalypse zero because no one else likes it but me because they consider that the worst but that is awesome i'm i'm the guy who thinks bomber girl is great everybody else is like this is unreadable shit uh they don't like the artwork they don't like the writing like the jokes i mean um even the people at raijin comics who worked on it were like wow daryl you're the only person who likes bomber girl yes i am and i'm proud of it but most disappointing manga that might be a little easier to answer because typically the most disappointing manga are things that are created maybe after an anime adaptation or perhaps concurrently with an anime adaptation let's say Something like a Gundam manga. No, well, there's so many, but I mean, there's most of like, let's say the Gundam Wing manga, or the G Gundam manga, or, you know, the tie-ins to existing shows, that kind of Gundam manga. Those are usually never, ever as good as the show itself. And that's saying a lot because things like Gundam Wing really don't hold up to second viewings. Those are typically bad. 
another example would be like say the scryad manga i loved scryad it was like jojo's bizarre adventure and then the manga was released concurrently and it seemed even more like jojo's bizarre adventure but it was just it was just not that good a comic utena the manga for that nowhere near as good as the show in my opinion so basically, you know, if you can think of those manga titles like Cowboy Bebop, you know, things that are made either uh, after the anime gets made or concurrently, those tend to be the most disappointing. Usually when a manga comes out first and then is adapted to anime, you go and you watch it, the anime, and then you go back and read the manga. It's like, oh, wow, the manga is either better or is a straight up, um, the anime was a straight up scene for scene adaptation such that I don't really need to read the manga anymore. I mean, I love Naoki Urasawa, but you're either going to read his manga or you're going to watch the show, one or the other. There's no need to do both with that dude, because when they adapt his stuff, it is um, straight up one-to-one fidelity for the most part. Question number 13. Do you have any non-translated manga in your collection? If so, what are the titles? I do have non-translated manga in my collection. For many years, I had Raws of Rikio, the manga, because I was like, wow, this is awesome. I have no idea what's being said, but it's so visually engaging and crazy as far as what I'm seeing. There was like a, a entertainment value in like, how can this sequence of images follow from the previous sequence of images? That was like its own entertainment value to it. And then when it was ultimately scanlated, it was even more entertaining now that I knew what was happening. Um, I have a lot of Fist of the North Star manga for the same reason. All of that ended up getting scanlated as well. Again, this is like a one-person effort. Guy went through and did all of Fist of the North Star. I have a decent amount of untranslated... Kazuo Koike stuff, like I have The Starving Man, Aoi Oboi, never been scanlated by anybody. Dark Horse won't release it because they're just too scared, it's too offensive, it's too raw. I really want to know what is being said in that comic because that is crazy. Dummy Oscar is another Kazuo Koike one that was like, whoa, what the hell is going on in this comic book? It's completely wild and out there. Cyber Blue, a Tetsuohara stuff. Again, I had that raw. Fortunately, the same one guy, I think, uh, went and, and scanlated all of Cyber Blue for me. So I do have that available. As a, a malicious birthday present for when I turned 30, I believe Ed Chavez or Aaron Finnegan um, had got me the uh, health for 30-year-olds, like the instructional how... Um, you know, 30-year-old versions are supposed to interact and have sex with ladies and stuff, and this is where the clitoris is, that kind of comic. It's of little use to me because step one is to go out drinking. Oops. Oh, well. Useless present, guys. But yeah, I do have a, a good bit of raw manga. It's a very, very limited utility to me because all I can basically do is look through it and go, hey, cool, pretty pictures, guys, and then wonder what the hell's going on and then put it down and be like, oh, well, what's next? I try not to have too much raw manga, and yet I have quite a bit of it. One more really noteworthy Tetsuo Hara manga is this thing called uh, Sakon. I only know it's called that because it's written in English on the side of it. And this is ninja Tetsuo Hara manga where it's like six ninja guys and they all look like Kenshiro and there are like crazy double page spreads of like walls made of ninja being cut through by X's and then they go and they bang all the hot chicks. I'm like, somebody scan like this thing. It's six volumes long and I have no idea what's going on. Maybe that would be like the big roadblock to why we haven't seen more of a scanlation project for uh, KG, which, you know, 
come to speak think of it is being scanlated very gradually and that thing's super long but i would love to see what the heck is going on in this sakon thing and for all i know some of these things probably have been scanlated and i just have no way to know because the distribution method for all that stuff is underground it's all irc and direct channels like that straight from the source and sometimes they don't even go on the scan aggregation sites they could be out there someone let me know if, if they are out there send me copies all right gentlemen um the next category um, is a little bit different. I thought it'd be interesting for people to hear um, general, generally overall anime fans, um, uh, their interest in uh, non-anime, non-anime uh, animation or uh, non-Japanese comics. So something I'm interested to hear uh, if you have any interest in those. So I have a few questions in regards to uh, comics uh, animation. So we will start. Question number 14. What about non-Japanese comics or graphic novels? Do you read them? If so, which do you read? What's your favorite non-Japanese graphic novel or oh he's still asking the question I hit pause too soon of course comic okay that is multiple questions but the answer to your question is yes I do read non-Japanese comics I primarily read just the Marvel and DC type stuff I don't really read a lot of the indie comics or web comic kind of stuff that is so popular now. So that typically means I'm mostly reading the uh, mainstream, quote, mainstream, even though it doesn't sell as much as some of these so-called indie comics, superhero stuff. I do read them. I wouldn't call myself a fan of them. I'll typically say I'm a reader of them because here's the, the difference. And I'll admit this. I, um, I steal all of that. I don't. Pay money for U.S. comics, period. It's all it's all pirated scans for me, and so I can't legitimately call myself a fan of American comics, even though even though I am uh, reading them maybe even more than manga at this point because I'm just I'm just a straight up thief, you know. I, I'm getting them because they're free and because they're available every week and because they're easy to get. Uh, that's it. That's you know the the worst type of anime fan, the type I've been rallying against so long for anime. I am that for American comics. I um I pretty much don't care because uh, for me the American comic stuff that I will pay money for I will see I will pay money to see the movies I'll see the live action movies I will buy the cartoons I'll I'll own those on DVD I will watch those on television I will um you know that's how I'll support that sort of media but the the comics I uh, I'm not going to pay money for this stuff and I think. At a higher level, multinational conglomerate side of things, I think that's how they view these comics as well. I mean, they're idea factories for them to get an inkling of an inspiration to get a movie out of, to turn into your cartoon adaptation. The difference between, say, the the Jeff Johns Green Lantern, which, yeah, I, I read all the Green Lantern stuff, haven't paid a cent for any of it, um, for years and years and years since the G- Green Lantern Rebirth, and yeah, you got uh, a movie out of that, which wasn't that good, and a TV series, a cartoon TV series out of that, which is exceptionally good, and uh, to make that cartoon, they said, okay, let's take all this stuff and just take all the really, really salacious details out of it and you just have a a pretty cool cartoon. So yeah, I mean, I read primarily, if I had to choose between um, 
you know, specific titles. I would say the thing that I like a lot is, yeah, that really man-children-y stuff. Like, you know, your Flash, Jeff Johns, and your Flash, uh, I mean, your Jeff Johns, Green Lantern, and your Peter Tomasi stuff. But I'm primarily a Marvel reader, and that doesn't mean anything, again, because, again, I steal all of this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I'm big into Daredevil and Moon Knight, and, you know, there's not really a current ongoing Moon Knight, I understand. I've read pretty much all the Avengers and Captain America stuff. I've stopped reading Captain America since it's pretty obvious that Ed Brubacker doesn't really care that much about it anymore. He's uh, more into his own stuff. You know, Winter Soldier, that sort of thing. I would say the only American non-superhero stuff I read is the creator-owned stuff like Criminal, Fatal, that sort of noir comic stuff. But I haven't really paid money for those things. Actually, no, that's not true because I have bought with money the uh, Darwin Cook adaptations of Parker, the the novels of those. I, I do spend money on those and also Criminal. So I, I will buy the crime comics. I, I will I will buy those with money, but I will not buy superhero comics. And uh, that's what I'm reading <laughs> primarily. But if you want to talk about them with me, I am knowledgeable of them. But I, I will call myself a reader, just not a fan, because a fan would actually support their efforts with money. Question number 15. What's your favorite superhero? And what's your favorite supervillain? Favorite superhero? I, I guess it might actually be Daredevil. I, I was um, interesting how I came to that because I'm not a fan of Kevin Smith. Not really. Uh, I, in fact, I, I hate him uh, a lot. But when Kevin Smith became a comics writer and there was a big deal about Kevin Smith Green Arrow, guys, they were hyping the moon to that. And I was like, okay, let me read this thing. And I read Green Arrow for the first time. I was like, you know what? This isn't that bad. I mean, it's very, very wordy, very Kevin Smithy dialogue. But from that, I was like, huh, this isn't that bad. And I was reading Green Arrow for a, a, a while. And then they're like, well, what else has Kevin Smith done? Oh, he did Daredevil. Okay, well, let me go and read this, uh, you know, Guardian, you know, Devil thing. And it's like his run ended. And then um, another dude named Brian Michael Bendis picked up Daredevil. And I was like, oh, okay, wow, this guy's pretty awesome. What else has he done? And I was like, oh, Sam and Twitch. This is a crime comic as the guys from Sam and Twitch. I mean, the guys from Spawn, the detectives, only without Spawn and all that stuff. Let me read this. This is like what I want comics to be more of. And that led me to Ed Brubacker, another crime comics guy. And then it turned out, oh, what's this guy writing? Oh, Gotham Central. Let me go read this. Bring me back to Daredevil. Daredevil, you know, under Bendis' run was this really super cool kind of thing with like art style that wasn't really like anything else. Uh, Alex Maleev's art. And I had gone back and I read the Frank Miller daredevil since that was like the foundation of that from which everyone was, was sort of drawing this stuff upon the sort of noir comics stuff. And yeah, you could sort of see the Koike influence in that old era Frank Miller things. So, I mean, yeah, Daredevil just is consistent, almost for several decades has been absolutely fantastic as far as its creators, its writers and stuff like that. I thought the only time it was bad was when Andy Diggle ended up writing it. And the reason for that and the reason for my like a Daredevil is that by and large, Daredevil had nothing to do with the rest of the comics. It wasn't really crossing over into the rest of the greater Marvel universe. It was a lot like manga. It's like you could just get this comic and read it, and this was pretty much the story. There wasn't a whole lot of instances where Daredevil would be crossing over with the Avengers and what have you. I mean, nowadays, Daredevil is an Avenger, but 
for many, many, many years, Daredevil was this sort of self-contained world that existed like independently of all that other crazy, impossible to figure out stuff that is that shared continuity of the Marvel Universe. And that was also part of why I was into Green Arrow and that led me to Green Lantern because those kind of existed on their own. And then, you know, over time, of course, Green Lantern and the DC side became like this cornerstone of like, you know, all the shared universe stuff. I would say that in general, it's really hard to explain why Daredevil's so cool or why Moon Knight is so cool. I mean, these guys seem like they're fundamentally Batman ripoffs or in the case of Daredevil, it's like his powers are that he's got superhuman senses, but he's blind. But even though he's blind, he can still see after a sense due to, you know, sonar. And so people say, well, what's the point of him being blind? I think it's one of those things where the actual power set and fighting guys might actually be one of the less interesting parts of the comic. I mean, Daredevil is uh, tone wise really, really great. And it's very brutal and, you know, heavy as far as like the themes that it deals with. I mean, it's still about, you know, guy putting on costume, going out, beating the crap out of dudes, which is, you know, what I like. Uh, that's my thing. But, uh, yeah, it's those, the street level Marvel guys are kind of my favorite sorts of dudes because, um, you know, it's, not that fantastic, and they are largely left alone to uh, tell their own stories. Uh, it's not like you see Moon Knight showing up that often in other comics, even though, yeah, he was also an Avenger recently, and they, they just didn't know what to do with him. He just kind of was in the background and, and did nothing. Question number 16. DC or Marvel? Please state your case. Before I do that, I actually forgot to name my favorite supervillain, didn't I? Favorite supervillains are usually guys who I think are, you know, and to use the same pro wrestling logic mentality, mentality, the best villains are the people who think themselves heroes. And I think one of my favorite supervillains is actually on the DC side, uh, Jeff John's creation, Zoom. Not uh, Professor Zoom, the old um, archenemy of the Flash. This guy was a uh, guy with similar powers, similar outfit, but he wasn't uh, called Professor Zoom. He was just a Zoom. And the reason this guy was great is that he was one of the Flash's friends, a guy named Hunter Zolomon, and he was a cop, and he was uh, confined to a wheelchair due to a mistake that he'd made. And so he ended up thinking that, hey, you're the Flash. You can go back in time because you can run so fast. Go back and freaking save my legs, man. Save, uh, you know, my 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 dead wife or what have you. Um, Not wife, I'm sorry. Um, Father-in-law, I think it was. I can't remember at this point. <laughs> no, you've got me on the spot. It's very early in the morning. I literally just woke up as I'm recording this. But anyway... There was a tragedy in his past. Uh, he ended up getting someone close to him killed. He ended up being wheelchair bound. The Flash refused to go back in time to save him. He was like, dude, what the heck's your problem, man? Flash is like, can't go back in time and screw up stuff because, uh, you know, bad things will happen. Never mind the fact that the whole current DC relaunch is because the Flash went back in time and screwed things up. D- different guy, true. But anyway, the, the point of this tale I'm getting at is the reason this guy's a, a great villain is that through happenstance, he ends up uh, turning himself into a, a villain who can uh, be sort of unstuck in time and uh, is able to move extremely fast uh, that way, not really through a physics, but through a operating on a different timeline. And his deal in life is that he wants to make the Flash a better person, a better hero. And the only real way that you can become a better hero, this guy has concluded, is uh, through adversity in your life, through having a tragedy befall you. The Flash, oh, you got your powers from, you know, being struck by lightning and what have you. 
you know, different flash origins, of course, for different guys, but they all pretty much got their powers through similar tales. And, uh, you know, you didn't really lose somebody close to you. So this guy, Zoom, is just always like trying to kill the Flash's unborn children or wife or what have you by doing things like time stream related. And um, it's it's really great because he's like, I'm doing this in your own best interest, man. You're going to do this and you're going to feel like really sorrowful and you're going to want vengeance upon all the evil. And then you'll go and, you know, wage a war. Look at Batman. Look at how great he is. Look at Superman. He lost his whole planet. You know, you need some tragedy in your life. I'm helping. I'm helping, guys. And so Zoom was great. I thought he had a really uh, unique motive for being incredibly evil he had a a weird way of talking because even though he was unstuck in time he would have periods where he would like speak normally and then speak incredibly quickly and then speak really slowly like a sort of distortion to sort of show that he was like vibrating at an uneven uh rate relative to everyone else going through time i thought he was a really great villain and um he doesn't really exist anymore they took away his powers and uh ever since the dc relaunch uh that character just doesn't exist. But Professor Zoom, who is exponentially less interesting, does exist. So that was answering the previous question. Now to answer the current question, which is DC or Marvel. And even though I just spent all that time talking about DC, the abs- answer is absolutely 100% Marvel. DC, I feel, is a little too inept as far as going back to the silver age i mean um and this is 100 percent of jeff john's thing is like i want to return things to the silver age to the challenge of the super friends era only with uh much more violence and gore and rape and all that stuff and i don't actually object to that at all but i feel that by and large with the the relaunch and all that stuff it isn't really working as well as i would like it to i think a lot of the changes just aren't going through all that good even before the relaunch i was always a marvel guy i think the problem with so many of the dc heroes is well several fold but in general the marvel heroes are a little more relatable especially since i am not a white dude uh marvel's a little more racially diverse a little more um you know i i don't really care you know i don't even identify that much with not being white i'm I'm just trying to sound intellectual I'm, I'm such a liar i don't really care if people are all white or not enough uh people of color or not enough women or what have you but uh power set wise marvel heroes tend to not be as god tier powerful and that makes them more human i suppose it's a little more feasible they could lose a fight i'm never really concerned that batman's gonna lose or that superman's gonna lose or that uh wonder woman's gonna get beat Captain America, even though he's uh, the peak of human humanity, uh, a lot of times his enemies are overwhelming him, you know, and how, how's he going to pull this one off? And the way he does is, you know, strength of moral character, you know, more so than that he can punch the crap out of people. Uh, Spider-Man, perfect example of that. Spider-Man is like the sort of hero that we the reader would be like he gets his powers and the first thing he does is like i'm not gonna be a hero i'm gonna be awesome i'm gonna take revenge on all the bullies who picked on me i'm gonna make money yo that's that's a very real response to sort of being a hero and then he you know learns to to sort of grow up which is the part that we didn't do that's the fantasy part of spider-man in general i feel that marvel is just a little better at keeping their events together the the writers they've got a lot of them came from that crime comics background. Like I was saying, I was reading crime comics for a while before the superhero stuff. And a lot of those guys are sort of taking that sensibility and applying it to their superhero writing. A lot of the DC guys, you know, some of them came in from that background and all of them left pretty much. I don't know um, who's really there now. 
that on the DC side, but whereas on Marvel side, they've got like Bendis and Rucka and Brubacker and even Mark Andreco, I think is still around. Um, although he went to DC and did Manhunter for a bit. A lot of those dudes, crime fiction, comic guys. And, uh, that's part of why they, um, have made the Marvel universe a little more, uh, palatable to me as a result, uh, than DC. Yeah. DC is just, um, they want to do things and they just don't, they don't seem to stick the execution nearly as well as Marvel seems to. Uh, but I do read both. You know, again, I'm not a fan. I, uh, I steal all of it. So, um, that's, uh, the short answer. I didn't really answer that very well, I don't think. I didn't think it through. It's a big question to answer. Question number 17. Are you a fan of any, uh, non anime animation? If so, uh, what titles do you like? Um, well, sure. I watch the superhero cartoons, of course, as I just mentioned. I like the Avengers cartoon. Ultimate Spider-Man is, uh, not as appealing to me as spectacular, but it looks amazing. And I do, <laughs> like, a uh, great adjective there. I don't like the writing style of it as much, being very family guy oriented, but it has gotten better as far as that goes. A lot of the stuff on Disney XD lately has been very, very good. Those are both Disney XD shows. And in, even still, their current set of stuff like Gravity Falls and uh, even Motor City is, you know, I like the way Motor City looks and the, the music of it more than I like the characters in the story. I, I know that's a minority perspective on the AWO. I know uh, everyone else is insane over Motor City, uh, the characters. They say uh, they're the best part. I um, may, Maybe it's just, uh, I don't know, it seemed, that seems a little too kiddy to me, given um, premise, but hey, what are you going to do? Uh, it'll probably grow on me a little more, the more I think about it. Yeah, the Green Lantern cartoon was Cartoon Network, but I, I haven't really watched too much Cartoon Network stuff. Nickelodeon, uh, I can't get into Avatar, I can't get into Korra, it's just um, fans of it are just way too annoying, and the show doesn't seem like it's that good to substantiate it. I, I keep trying to watch it and seeing, like, what's the big deal about it? And it's like, okay, it looks, it's animated nicely. Uh, I just, you know, the story just, uh, I don't know. I don't like these characters, especially, I think really I just, that well has just been poisoned by the fan base of it. And I just, like, when I see these things, I think this is what these people are reacting to later on years from now, or, like, this is where this is going to go. And I that's in the back of my head, and I, I, I still, I haven't given that show a fair enough shot. I got to give it like even more years to pass and be forgotten about before I can, you know, really give Avatar like its fair shot. But the main thing I, I like the most of all non um, anime animation on US Ding is a Cartoon Network thing, and that's Clone Wars, uh, the Star Wars cartoon. I uh, didn't expect to like Clone Wars at all. I didn't like the way that it looked. That movie was so bad. I refused to even watch it to this day. And then I started watching it and I was like, eh, this is really mediocre, but even mediocrity is better than the prequels. And then over time, I saw that it ranged from like the worst Clone Wars episodes, like the Jar Jar stuff. Even those are like, eh, this is okay. And when it's good, it is incredibly great. I come from a generation where deep down we really still want to love Star Wars. And I do really still want to love Star Wars. And Clone Wars is like, you know, when it's on and it's frequently firing on all cylinders, it is that same feeling I got from watching Star Wars as a kid in my youth, even though it's set during that prequel trilogy time frame that is, you know, such a horror to so many people, including uh, even myself at this point. I'm also really big as far as Cartoon Network stuff. I love the Black Dynamite cartoon. 
I, I think that is like so brilliant. I love the Black Dynamite movie. And I know there are lots of people who are like, oh, this Black Dynamite cartoon is nothing at all like the same type of humor as the film. And I'm like, uh, screw you, dudes. This is incredibly, incredibly good. So, yeah, as far as that's that's like what's currently on that I am into. Uh, I'm not I haven't watched a single episode of this Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated that everyone is uh, going nuts over. Haven't haven't seen any of it. I am. Um, you know, obviously, I, the main objection to that is people like have acknowledged that Scooby-Doo has been terrible for many, many years. And apparently this one is exceptionally good. But um, I haven't seen any of it. Uh, I don't know anything about it. I was never really a, a fan of Scooby-Doo in the first place. My favorite episodes of the old ones were when other people would show up as guests. But I keep hearing everyone say, yeah, that's all true. But this one is good. So someday I'll get around to that one. I don't even have any objections to the fans of Scooby-Doo or anything. That's just a time thing. But yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm basically watching like the superhero cartoons and, and pretty much liking most all of them. I, I did not like Young Justice very much. I mean, I wanted to, but that dude, um, is just, uh, that, that head writer, that gargoyles guy is, um, even though he worked on Spectacular Spider-Man, it's like, dude, I get you like Midsummer Night's Dream, but find a new gimmick. People telling me that Young Justice, you know, took a very significant turn tonally and premise-wise in uh, the later episodes of season two. Maybe I'll check it out. Maybe I'll like that. But I just, it was just too annoying. I couldn't get into it. But other than that, yeah, those are the American cartoons that I'm watching. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing out on neglecting to mention some others, but that's, uh, you know, probably more anime. <laughs> probably more than I'm watching anime right now, to be honest. All right, we'll go on to the next category, and this will be collecting. Question number 18. Do you collect any anime-related collectibles slash memorabilia? Question number nine. Okay, I hit pause a little too late because it's just completely unclear when the questions end. The way you're asking them in terms of tone. I used to collect other stuff. I used to have some action figures. I used to collect Gundam model stuff. And then I found that I was just collecting stuff and I don't have anywhere to put them. I don't have any time to build the models. Uh, I, I So I don't really buy much memorabilia anymore i i try it's it's good for me because when i go to anime conventions dealers rooms i'm frequently not buying anything but my home is overrun with uh, discs with manga with games and so i i kind of like the show more than i like the material ancillary to the show which is very different from the modern anime fan a modern manga fan they want maybe to not necessarily buy the show so much as buy like a keychain or charm or a figurine or something like that of character from the show that they like i don't really work that way i don't think i'd love to get roman albums and stuff but they're not in english all i can do is look at pictures and be like oh, okay that's cool i mean uh, i do have the uh samurai shampoo roman album that dark horse released it's a really good book because i can read the information in it that's about it i don't really uh i'm not really in the memorabilia stuff uh no toys really anymore i mean they're all in boxes mostly unopened or in pieces even if they were really expensive, like $60 things, they're all like thrown in a box. I don't have any sense of monetary value of things. What personally is your most valuable collectible? Not so much in what it's worth in the money, but as in personally, it's the most special to you. I guess another thing I used to get was uh, soundtracks on CDs. That quickly uh, became out of practice because uh importing those cds it'd be like 30 dollars a cd and sometimes you know you'd pay that price and still get the bootleg version anyway and so i just stopped that altogether and now i think is mp3 piracy anyway but perhaps one of my most treasured i guess memorabilia things i had gotten a sh into a show in in my teenage years 
called The Violinist of Hamelin. This was a thing where the anime was way, way better than the manga, even though the manga came out first. So an exception to my rule that I said way back when. The anime adaptation, scenario-wise, was written by Yasuhiro Imagawa, the guy who made Giant Robo, uh, the OAV animation for that. And um, the soundtracks for this thing, it was a three-disc soundtrack set. And... When you bought, I guess, one of the discs, they came in a, a special box to hold all three of the discs in because a, a plot point in the cartoon is a MacGuffin item. Not really a MacGuffin because people know exactly what it does. Pandora's box, a reference to the um, same item from Greek mythology. And so the box that holds the CDs is shaped like the Pandora's box in the show. And I have that autographed by Yasuhiro Imagawa, because when he came to America, I needed something for him to sign. And everyone was bringing maybe um, G Gundam or Giant Robo stuff. And I was like, I'll be d- different. I'll bring a Shin Getter Robo, you know, the Armageddon, Getter Robo Armageddon, and a Violinist of Hamelin. And uh, that really surprised him, because nobody else uh, had brought something from that show for him to sign. Because of that, I think uh, they invited me afterwards, after his uh, speaking engagement, to, to hang out with him at the, the consulate's place. And uh, that, that was a really memorable night, because I've never done anything like that before or since. Uh, so that, that's probably like the reminder, like as far as like an item that is like uh, not necessarily... It's, it's worth money, I guess, but I mean, you know, it's more for like a memory than anything. And that's another reason why I don't really collect a lot of memorabilia and stuff or even get autographs much anymore uh now that i have a podcast the interview is my memento of having met that person the article that i wrote is my um the thing my item that says yeah i met that guy and you know talked to him about whatever and did that thing um so that's another reason but yeah if i had to name one it would be that uh that pandora's box number 20 what was the first and what was the last collectible you've purchased Incredibly difficult question to answer. I don't even know um, an answer to either of them, really. First collectible I purchased. Jeez, I mean, uh, you know, to go back way the heck back to uh, the 90s, there wasn't a whole lot of collectible gear to get. It was all like all the money went into actually getting the comics, getting the movies, getting the DVDs, right? So, I mean, uh, if I had to name a collectible, it would be related to the acquisition of DVDs. I'd have to count that as a collectible. And so, for example, when Serial Experiments Lane came out on DVD in America, they had a, a lunchbox that it came with. If you, uh, if you bought that set, that really, uh, there was a $120 set or whatever it was, and all four discs came in a lunchbox with the soundtrack. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll buy that. I still got it. I still have my Serial Experiments Lane lunchbox with the Boa single on it. And so that's probably like, I don't even know if it really counts as the first, but it's like the oldest one that I can remember. As far as the most recent, it might even go back like, you know, two years since I've bought any like collectible stuff. And it was probably like a, a Revoltech figure from Fist of the North Star, probably for, um, you know, a, a repurchase of like a Kyoto one that I'd bought uh, like uh, similarly, like I maybe bought another Kenshiro or another Ray. And um, I still need more Revoltex. I still want their Souther. I still want their Zed. I still want, you know, the list goes on. Uh, the main one I want is Souther and that's long out of print. If I had to like get like one collectible that I really would want to get, it would be the Revoltech Black Getter 
not the Shin Getter Robo, but the uh, Black Getter from Getter Robo Armageddon. I would really like that one. Just the the few times I saw it several several years ago, they cost way too much money. Like the markup was too high, and now it's um been out of print for years, and nobody has got extra copies of that. Maybe if I went on eBay, somebody might have it. Uh, and just and then it gets to the point where it's like, do I want to spend fifty, sixty dollars on a small toy robot? And I'd have to think about it. But yeah, that's probably uh, the last one I got was years ago, an action figure. Question twenty one: Is current anime inferior? Uh, inferior to what? Did I hit pause too soon? To the older anime. I did hit pause too was soon. Was anime actually better in the eighties and mid nineties than current anime being produced? My question to you is... Oh, I had pause again. Too. How does modern anime oh, stand up? he just paused really long. In regards to older anime, overall, in your opinion. Also... Ah, he said also. Screw you. I'm going to answer this part first um, because it was already a multi-part question. Um, all right. The question is semi-loaded and maybe slightly inelegant as far as what it's actually trying to get at. What I will say about anime in the 80s and even up to the 90s is that in general, it seems, there was more money going around in the Japanese economy such that more projects would be greenlit to be made that would otherwise not get made now in the modern era. People could make things that were weird little tie-ins to comics or they'd give somebody who'd never really made something before a shot when they were very young in their 20s let's say in terms of animation budgets sometimes they would have more money for that perhaps uh, your mileage can vary there was a lot more tendency towards sci-fi uh, actiony type stuff all of those things could be viewed as arguments as to why that old era was better because a lot of that stuff is not the case anymore. There isn't really that much money going around. They typically are very hesitant to greenlight projects that aren't safe bets. You don't see too many weird things out there. I mean, even the Noitamina block, which was supposed to be like the experimental sort of Jose anime adaptations kind of uh, block, even that is throwing in their more otaku-friendly things to sell merchandise um, more likely to. So anime is much more polarized or, you know, set into its type such that you can look at the picture and say, oh, it's one of those shows, it's one of those shows, it's one of those shows, oh, I don't need to watch that. And I do the exact same thing and maybe I find, like, um, two anime a season to, to watch. And perhaps the argument can be made that if you were to go back and look at the years as far as what actually held up and what is still good, that, that ratio is similar. But in terms of a uh, number of shows being made now, there's way, way, way more things being made. And it feels like the overall number, not like necessarily the rate, but like the number of good things has been constant. So like, let's say if I can find like 10 shows a year in 1990, whatever, and 10 shows a year in 2000, whatever, it's probably a worse indictment of the 2000 era just because there were like several times more shows being made a year. That might be one way of looking at it. I think there are still a couple of good things, but they tend to, you know, buck the trend, so to speak. The things that I like tend to be initial, like explicitly conceived as throwback to a prior time. 
like the going to guy OAV revival type stuff. Like, yeah, Madison Kaiser Skull is great, but do we count Madison Kaiser Skull as a new anime or is it a anime that is trying to be evocative of how anime air quotes used to be close air quotes? That's the question. Brand new shows. I mean, yeah, we've got, we're hot off the heels of one of the greatest anime seasons like ever, you know, not just 80s, 90s, um, you know, ever. You know, there were multiple great shows that were on, some of them were still on, the Space Brothers and what have you. But I mean, like we had a, a new Lupin the Third, which, you know, hey, does that count as new? Because Lupin's been on forever. Put that aside. Kids on the Slope, which, you know, okay, yeah, wasn't, you know, as good as everyone was hoping because it was from the maker of Kali Bebop. Space Brothers, great show. You know, we're getting like this pretty great uh, AKB 0048 show. But yeah, that's Shoji Kawamori. That's the Macross guy. Does he count as a new talent? Or does he count as uh, an old guy still beating his own drum in the modern age? You know, th- this is a difficult question to answer. So I will say that, you know, new anime is much more risk averse than anime used to be. There are much fewer theatrical films, which is uh, one of the big draws for, you know, early anime fans was watching movies and OAVs. And there aren't really that many of those anymore. The OAVs that get made are typically things that are first for, say, pay TV stations like the equivalent of HBO. And that's where all the like really violent stuff, you know, that still gets made even shows up. But it's maybe one or two of those a year as opposed to a lot because um, the route that most of those OAV equivalent things go is more the pornography side, more showing naked breasts kind of thing, being really pervy. Uh, I, I like people getting shot and killed a lot more. And, um, for that, I need to go back to the eighties and nineties because, uh, the super violent stuff just doesn't really happen nearly with as much regularity as it did back then. So that's, that's my way of answering it. And you can interpret that to mean that old anime was quote better, but I don't really want to fall into that because it, it's not inherently better. It's, um, weird external circumstances. All right. So that's the first part of your question. Let me see what was your also part that you're about to throw on me. Are there any current shows that you're enjoying? If so, please enlighten us. Okay, I, I already answered it. Great. I um, Yeah, like I said, there are a lot of good current shows that are on that are great, and I named most of them already. The current, like as of right now, time of this recording, September 8th season of anime is actually pretty weak. It's a summer season, not that good. Most of the things that are worth watching are things that are carried over from the previous season. Next season, though, looks like it has some promise. There are a lot of really cool movies coming out, and I hope that they get licensed. I hope somebody um, brings them out here. Worst case scenario, maybe someone will fan sub them, but as a rule, anime studios are kind of bad at releasing movies, and uh, fan subbers only so-so at, at fan subbing movies. How many years has it been and we still don't have the new Fist of the North Star movies, the ones that got made recently? Maybe Discoteca will release them at some point. I mean, uh, it's worth a shot. I think it'll happen. But we're getting a new JoJo's Bizarre Adventure TV show, and I don't know what to think about that. The more I look at it, the more I'm not sure if it's going to be good. But I'm going to watch that, absolutely. It's not out yet, though, so I can't really uh, use that as a current show. But yeah, I, I named about you know four or five currently running shows that are are pretty good just now. So I think uh, I'll leave it at that because uh, we're coming up on 90 minutes. There you have it, gentlemen. 21 questions. Thank you so very much for being a part of the show. If there's any questions that you're having trouble answering or that you think are stupid, please email me and let me know. And in regards to the comic and uh, non-Japanese animation questions, if you happen not to read comics or what have you, just simply state that. Gentlemen, you are much too kind and I am forever in your debt. 
if you would ever like me to be on your shows, if there's any anime you're looking for, if I can ever be of service in any way to you, please always uh, feel free to uh, ask. And I have a special question. I have a special question. Question 22. This is for the gentleman from the Anime World Order. So this is a special question just for the Anime World Order. So gentlemen, please do humor me and answer this question. Question 22. Will the Anime World Order ever do another three-hour all-mecha podcast? Thank you, gentlemen. Oh, okay. Um, that was the end of the question. Okay, well, um, sure. I would not have any objections to you being on AWO Regan. I think uh, if we were going to call you on, we'd probably call you on for... Um, I mean, you've been spending a lot of time on that 2003 Astro Boy, and I know we maybe only talked about that a bit in passing... Because we have in the past reviewed uh, various Astro Boy things, and we did have uh, Mark Handler on years and years ago, a guy who worked on the 2003 Astro Boy show, and he talked about the creation of it. But now that it's um, the fan sub of that is is nearing completion, if not completed, I, I think you said it was actually done. Or at least I, I know I think you said the first half of it. But yeah, we've had like three shows where we talked about Astro Boy in some form or fashion, but I think if maybe we had you on uh, sort of to talk about it in general, maybe uh, maybe that would be good. I think um, that's something that you've been kind of immersed in lately. Uh, or you could talk about maybe, um, you know, if you wanted to really get into the Mecha stuff. I don't know if I would want to do a Fang of the Sun Dugram podcast without Tim Eldred. <laughs> that's kind of like, and Dugram begat Votoms kind of thing. As for your actual last question, will there be another three-hour Mecca thing? The reason those shows were three hours was not because we sat down in a contiguous block of time and talked about Mecca for three hours. It was because we did a review, and then we'd reconvene at a later date and do another review, and then do another review, and then do a news segment, and, and each of these things and then read emails and each of these things would be done on, on different days, often days apart. And then we'd put them all together and release it. What that means is, is that we would have substantial amounts of time where we would have edited, completed reviews done that we just hadn't posted yet because we were waiting on other materials to be recorded that hadn't even been recorded yet to be recorded, then edited and all that. And we figured it'd just be more efficient for the people to release things as they come out. That's basically the reason why there is not another three-hour show is uh, because of that approach. Um, so I would say no, just because it would require us to wait on stuff that's already been finished. And usually what we end up doing is, okay, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to put my recording out, do the editing, and put it up there. And even at that, AWO is coming out like monthly, and that kind of sucks, I admit. It would be even worse if we met, went and made the shows longer. I mean, think about this. Look how long it's taken me to answer your questions. And that's just me talking. Now add two more people who also talk as much as I do, if not more. Uh, and, and the shows end up being unwieldy. Um, I mean, I, I usually diffuse the issue. I evade the issue by reviewing things that I know the other people haven't seen and they don't have as much to say about it. So yeah, probably not. So anyway, uh, this is me, Daryl Surratt from the Anime World Order podcast at www.animeworldorder.com. I'm also a writer for Otaku USA Magazine at otakuusamagazine.com, which is available not just in print, but also in digital, available via Kindle, via, um, 
iPad, I, uh, iOS store uh, as well. And you can uh, get things through the Android store as well as that. So um, even though it's a magazine, you can get it digitally on the internet. There's also free articles on the website for you to read, uh, some of which I have uh, contributed to in the past. I haven't done one in a while, but uh, that will change kind of soon, I imagine. And I will be at Anime Week in Atlanta at the end of the month. Um, uh two more weeks or so, three more weeks. I had better get cracking on that. So uh, that's me signing off, and uh, I might just post this audio to, to kill time as bonus because, hey, it's recorded and it's done and it's ready, and we got to get something out there, right? <laughs>